Will you pray with me? Let's spend some time in prayer this morning. God, we thank you for loving us. Lord, we thank you for their worthiness. Lord, that as we come before you in worship, we are reminded of just how good you are, how faithful you are. Lord, that your word goes from everlasting to everlasting, that you have proven your love for us in the life and death and resurrection of Christ. And so, God, as we come together this morning and we worship you, Lord, we ask would you hear our prayer. God, as we come together this morning and we confess our sins before you, Lord, we thank you that you lift us up and dust us off and send us on. And we thank you, God, would you lead us today. Lord, now with your word open, we we pray that you would shape us like that clay. Lord, that the same creator who breathed dust into the ground and made us, Lord, would you now shape us into the likeness of your son, Jesus Christ. God, we pray for our our, our nation, Lord, as we uh, come to a time of changes, Lord, changes in justices, changes in, in power, in politics, in presidents. God, we ask that your will would be done among this nation, Lord, that we would truly be a, a nation that fears you. Lord, that we wouldn't fear all the other things going around us, God, but that we would set our eyes on you. Lord, we pray for this town, God. We, we ask that the, those among us would come to know you by our witness and by your love. God, as I drove by this morning and saw the multitudes at the dog park, Lord, would you give us a heart for the people that don't know you? Lord, would you make us a witness to our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers or that they would come to know you? God, we ask this morning in our worship that you would change us, Lord. We, we now ask by your Holy Spirit that you would give us eyes to see you more clearly, ears to listen for you, and heartbeats to know you and follow you every day. God, speak to us now. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, good morning. Welcome, welcome. If you're visiting with us for the first time, I want to pay you a particular welcome and just tell you a little bit about who we are. We are uh, one church worshiping in two locations here in the Gallatin Valley. Our desire, our vision is to be a church to call home. Whether that's out at our legacy site where you'll see quilts hanging from the walls um, or here at our Bozeman site, uh, we, are, we are eager, we are anticipating, we are excited to have people come and join us, but we know that also comes with the invitation. So if someone's invited you to worship this morning, let me just echo their invitation and tell you how grateful we are that you are here. Um, and you've come at a great time. We just started this new series in John's Gospel Um, And uh, last week we started this series and I shared with you that this series is going to take us all the way through the school year. This is a marinade kind of series. And the purpose of this sermon series is really basic. Um, John tells us the purpose himself in his gospel. He says, we wrote this story of who Jesus is so that we might believe and that in believing we might have life in Jesus' name. It's that basic. That's it. And it's, 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 it's that the gospel of John was written in order that we might know the good news of Jesus and then share it. And if that's the question, or if that's the, 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 the purpose of the series, then the question that we're asking together is, how do we best live our lives with that same purpose? You with me? So last Sunday, we opened up to the very beginning of this story, and we talked together about how the importance of the words that we speak. Maybe we start there. 
that every word that comes from your mouth eventually tells people something about who you are. And if you buy into that, if you bought into that with me last week, if you believe that, then the question is inevitable. The question that we wrestled with last Sunday and then through the week was, what do your words actually say about you? So we got to this topic because the first line of John's gospel tells us that Jesus Christ was the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And just as our spoken words reveal something about who we are, Jesus, who is the word, reveals to us everything about who God is. That was the overture of the symphony of John's gospel. Um, But today, uh, I'm particularly excited because it's about to get even better. Um, Because today, as we open up our lesson, we're going to find this man named John the Baptist, different John than the one who wrote the gospel, John the Baptist and his lifestyle, the the words that he speaks, the life that he lives actually causes the people around him to ask the question, who are you? Who are you? We actually see this reality come to fruition. So let's turn, we're going to turn to John's gospel, chapter 1. Chapter 1, we're going to read verses 19 through 34 uh, today. So hear now God's word. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. So they asked him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of the one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah had said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. So they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize you with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. I myself didn't know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witness that this is the Son of God. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. So let me just ask the biblical question this morning. Who are you? It's kind of a fragile question, isn't it? With, with three words, that question has the ability to cause us to reevaluate and rethink everything. In fact, I would say it's the kind of question where the more that you dwell on your answer, the more complex it becomes. In American culture, we know this question all too well. We call it the midlife crisis. Like that moment where... Uh, where you find yourself quoting your parents for the first time, saying things like, nothing good happens after midnight. You know what I'm talking about? And for some reason, now you wake up at 5 a.m. and you kind of enjoy it. 
And your spouse looks at you and says, who are you? And this question brings a depth of introspection if you really stop and you consider it for a few minutes. For the Christian, we have the answer. We all know the Sunday school answer. That's not necessarily what I'm talking about. We can pull that out from our back pocket. Well, I'm a child of God, set free from sin, saved by grace, sent by Christ. We know that. That would be enough. We could certainly stop there. But, but here's my claim. The more serious that we take this question, the more powerful our witness of who Jesus Christ becomes. Because the more that we examine our roots in him, the more grounded our lives become. In fact, the book of Acts tells us that in Christ, we live and we move and we have our being. Like, uh, that's how involved Jesus is in our lives. And so the question this morning of who are you, it's a, Lord, would you search me and know me kind of a question. So let me ask again, who are you? Look at how John answers this on your screens in verses 19 through 20. And this is the testimony of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That's a peculiar way to answer that question, isn't it? Certainly not the first thing that pops into my head when I think of that inquiry. Priests and the Levites, they come to, from the head office of Jerusalem ready for this question. And it's really simple. They want to know the identity of this rumored man. And yet John first tells them, before I tell you who I am, you have to know who I'm not. Why is that? January 28, 1986, NASA was making final preparations to uh, launch the Challenger a space shuttle. And before this, the crew had come up with all kinds of problems. They were plagued with delays. But this was finally the moment everyone had been waiting for. The night before the launch, NASA put together a safety call with all the engineers that they had on the project. And every engineer gave the green light except for one who waved the red flag. His name was Alan McDonald. And Alan's concern was that the outdoor temperature the next day was too cold to guarantee a safe launch. In fact, specifically, he explained how the O-ring seals in the joints of this shuttle had never been tested below 53 degrees. Alan urged his colleagues to call it off, but the politics were thick. Money was at stake. The deadlines were past due. Pride was in the air. And so the powers that be immediately shut him down. In fact, they shut him down so hard that NASA asked his boss to sign off on the agreement for him. The next day, 73 seconds into the flight, we all know Alan's warning proved true. This is what he later wrote of the tragedy. NASA had become too successful. They had gotten by for a quarter of a century and had never lost a single person going into space. They had rescued the Apollo 13 halfway to the moon when part of the vehicle blew up. It seemed like it was an impossible task, but they did it. So how could this cold O-ring cause a problem when they had done so much over the past years to be successful? All of this success gives you a little bit of arrogance you shouldn't have, but they hadn't stumbled yet, and so they pressed on. I share that story because it seems to me that the deadliest of all sins is the sin of pride. And it seems to me that pride is the cancer of our identity. It's the cancer of who we are. In fact, in Western culture, when it comes to who we are, we pride ourselves on pride. 
If you find yourself at a cocktail party and you're, 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 uh, you're gathered around with people, we all know you're not going to be asked who you are. That's not the question, is it? What are we asked? What do you do? We calculate our self-worth on performance. We place our identity in results. And there's nothing inherently wrong with it except for it's a complete straw man. See, it seems to me that the greater success, the more danger we have of resting our self-worth upon it. And just so I'm keeping it real, and I think I've shared this before, pastors do it too. The first question of any good pastor's gathering is never, and I mean never, how is it your walk with Christ? Or how is it with your soul? It is almost always, how many people you got in attendance over there these days? If you're really clever, then you use the last year's Christmas or Easter numbers to beef up your case. But really, is that who I am? When it comes to our witness in Christ, John's first question about his identity is a definition of who he isn't. And in that response, he seems to inoculate himself against pride. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And John could have said anything here, right? Like he was far from a nobody. In fact, let me, let me just give you a rundown of John's life to date. John the Baptist was a miracle baby. His father, Zacharias, was the priest of all priests of Levites. That meant he was one of the leaders of God's people. The Bible tells us his mother was righteous and devout. In fact, she walked blamelessly before the Lord. One day, long after Zechariah had hit his prime, the angel Gabriel comes to him and he tells him, you're going to have a son. You might remember, Zechariah had prayed his entire life for this without an answer. He was dumbfounded. And the angel went on telling Zechariah, and this son will be no normal child. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, coming in the power of Elijah. Later, Zechariah prophesied that this son would be the prophet of the Most High. So John the Baptist is born, and Jesus names John the greatest mortal to ever walk the face of this earth. Aside from Christ, he was the prophet of prophets. He was the leader of leaders. And everyone was talking about this man. You might say he was making waves because he was the first one to actually be performing baptisms in the Jewish faith. Up until this point, people self-baptized as religious ritual. And so the elite from Jerusalem, they, they send an investigative committee out in the middle of nowhere to see for themselves who this man really is, and they ask him one basic question. Who are you? Just consider the resume John could have rattled off. The, the credentials he could have spouted to his onlookers. Do you know who my father is? Did you know that I was a Levite of the Levite tribes? The priestly tribe of Israel? Did you hear that an angel showed up out of nowhere and gave prophecy that I would be the man leading the way? And yet he said none of that. First things first, right off the bat, he says, you need to know I am not the Christ. I am not your Messiah. I am not your Savior. What would happen if that statement became a, a regular part of our vernacular? Last week we talked about 100 words. What, what if we just made some of those our basics? Lord, I'm not you. I'm not in control. I haven't lived my life as you did. I'm not all knowing. I'm not all loving. I'm not all good. And so if I start this day without you, Lord, I'm lost. So here, you lead. 
What if that, that statement began to lead us? What if every time others tried to make us someone we're not, we, we made that known and pointed back to him? See, John later said this. He was this consistent. He said, I must decrease so that he would increase. Who are you? See, before John said anything in the affirmative, he answers with the negative, that, that apart from Christ, I'm just like you. I'm a broken man. I'm a castaway. That I too am in need of God's grace. And context is really important here because we have to understand at the time, all of Palestine was in full anticipation of a Messiah and of a savior. They were looking for years for someone who would deliver God's people from the tyranny of Rome. They were longing for it, praying for it, expecting it. And power is an intoxicating thing. Really, how easy would it have been for John to go, I'll be your guy. Somebody get me a horse, I'll be your general. No, if you want to know who I am, let me begin with first telling you who I'm not. Look at this in verse 21. He takes the crowd so by surprise that they begin asking more questions. Okay, if you're not, if you're not the Messiah, then you, you must be Elijah, right? Or, or you must be a prophet. Verse 21 tells us, you can't come out here and change the ritual of baptism without proving some kind of credentials here, John. You'll remember Elijah was taken up in the clouds back in 2 Kings 2. He was the hero of the faith, expected to return at the end times. Likewise, the prophet was a man who was predicted by Moses in Deuteronomy 18. Moses had promised that God would raise up a prophet much like him in the end times. And John could have easily gained all sorts of PowerPoints if he'd just fake it for a minute. Let him believe that he was somebody he wasn't. Sure, I'll be your prophet. I'll be your Elijah. Whatever it takes to get ahead, I'm, I'm your guy. Just put this on the ground level with me for a minute. Isn't this sometimes us? Isn't there a part of all of us at least some point in our life that wants to be somebody we're not? Where in your weak moments you think, man, if I could just be them or be like them, I'd be so better off. We, we idolize and we, we covet because our world is a who's who kind of world. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And we name drop because with names comes status and with that status comes ego. But it's interesting to me, fascinating to me. No one ever asked John who he wasn't. They asked him who he was. And yet John immediately kicks over whatever pedestal he might sit upon for the sake of the gospel. I'm not any of your guys. I love how one scholar put it. He said, ego builds a cardboard fortress that humility must every day tear down. Dwayne Wade was a three-time NBA champion, a 13-time NBA All-Star and a Finals MVP. Um, he had rejoined the Miami Heat to bring the team back to a new level with his talent. But in 2011, they lost the finals under his lead. And in the offseason, Wade spent hours reflecting on what happened. And somewhere along the way, he realized they lost because of me. His teammate LeBron James had been out playing him all season, and he knew it. He, he knew LeBron could take the team to a place that he couldn't. And he played out as, as though he was the star all season long. So in an act of repentance, he sat down with LeBron over breakfast and hashed it out. And according to LeBron himself, this is what Dwayne said. He said, you be your great self this year and we'll all figure out how to be great around you this time. The next season towards the end, the coach was asked about their success and the change in dynamics on the team. And he said, that moment 
That moment was when our team took off. When LeBron was able to be the best player in the world and Dwayne kicked it off. See, it seems to me that when we, when we want to know who we are in Christ, it's first most important that we understand who we're not in Christ. I love how C.S. Lewis put it. Look at this up on your screens. He said, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you can't see something that's above you. See, John sees this question as having two distinct parts. And his negative answer isn't going to cut it for his investigators. So in verse 22, they now want to know his identity once more. Look at this. They say, we need to give an answer to those who sent us. So what do you say about yourself? He replied, I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. If you want to know who I am, John said, here it is. And with humble confidence and clarity, not only did John know who he wasn't, John knew full well who he was. He says, I'm just a voice. I am one small voice in the wilderness of this life called to share the gospel with people who need to hear it, called to prepare the way of the coming of the Lord. I was in the midst of a crazy day a few weeks ago, and uh, Jen, my wife, called me, and uh, she was under the weather, and so she asked if I would take Taylor, my little six-year-old almost, to a her first ballet class. And my mind was sort of elsewhere in the moment. I was still in work mode, so I was just like, yep, sure, when do I need to be home? I'll pick her up, all good. So I swing by the house, and the first moment that I realized I was in for it, she comes bouncing out in this pink little leotard. And we get to the the studio after driving and, and clearly seeing her excitement. She's pumped up, and I'm having a total existential crisis. I hadn't really processed what I had signed up for. In fact, I don't know the first thing about ballet, right? I grew up in a house of all boys, and, uh, and none of us boys could dance, still can't dance. You want us to go play t-ball? I'm your man. You want us to pick up some crawdads in the creek? I can do that all day long. But I'm walking into this building, and I'm holding these pink ballet shoes, and I realized I'm in over my head here. Like, I'm having images of dads dancing around on stage with their daughters. And as we're walking into this place, fight or flight is kicking in. Like, Ryan, you don't even know what's on the other side of this door. And I kid you not, as I'm holding the door for Taylor, she walks past me, turns around, looks back, and with confidence in her face, she goes, Dad, I was made for this. (laughs) She says, I was born to dance. I'm thinking, great, at least one of us knows why we're here today. No, John's answer is confident in Christ, right? He knows exactly who he is and exactly what he was sent to do. There's no mistake. This is why I was born. I'm a voice in the wilderness calling people to Christ. That's who John is. I've been wrestling a lot this week about who Spring Hill is. You know, we, we could confidently answer that question, even with all we've been through in the last eight months. Right before this hit, we spent months and months together in prayer and discernment, and we decided we're a church to call home. Two sites, you can pick your home, but we're a church to call home, where relationships flourish, generations connect, and neighbors in this Gallatin Valley are loved for the glory of God. That's who we've said we are. That's what we want to be when we grow up. And our mission is to build authentic community in Christ. We've spent months on that. But here's the challenge that doesn't answer the question of who are you and who am I 
Who has God created you to be? What is your life goals? Why are you on this earth? See, and I ask that very intentionally because there's only one you. And I think so often we live our lives wanting to be someone else or wanting to talk or walk or look like someone we're not. And yet John knows full well who he is and why he's on this planet. Look at this in verse 26. He says, I baptize with water. Yep, I'm doing it. But among you stands one you haven't even met yet. And the one who comes after me, he, the strap of whose sandal I'm not even worthy to untie. In other words, I'm just a preview here, guys. I'm just the, the starting act. I'm the sign pointing in the destination. Untethering a sandal, that was the act for the slave. It doesn't get a whole lot filthier than that. And yet John says, I'm not even worthy to touch that sandal. On this globe, let me remind you, there exists 7.681 billion people. And unless we strike it famous, for 99.99% of us, we are that one voice in the wilderness of billions called to share the good news. That's how God designed it. That's how the gospel spreads, one voice at a time. And if in our pride we forget that, if in our pride we believe, begin to believe that we're somebody we're not, our witness is at stake. If in our pride we allowed others to put us up on a pedestal and to stroke our ego as though we're the big deal, we end up standing in the way of the one who is. Jesus the next day comes walking towards John. And just try to picture this. Picture John's excitement, the enthusiasm in this moment as Jesus comes toward him and he invites the crowd to meet the Savior. This is the moment he's been waiting for his whole life. And he screams out of the top of his lungs, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John's identity was so caught up in Christ, he later died for that witness. Forgive me for asking one more time. Who are you? Here's the takeaway this week. The next time someone asks you what you do for a living, or what you did for a living, or how your business is doing, or how big a fish you just caught, or how successful your kids or your grandkids are, or how connected you are in this town. First tell them who you aren't, and then tell them who you are. Let's ask God to give us some thought to that this week. God, we thank you, Lord, that though you could have exploited who you were in Jesus Christ, Lord, you humbled yourself to the point of the cross. And in your death and resurrection, you made a way where there was no way. Lord, we thank you for examples of what it means to witness of that good news. Lord, of John beginning by telling others who he wasn't before he even began discussing who he was. Lord, would you give us that same humility? Lord, that others would see our, our humble confidence in you God, and for those moments where we, we aren't sure, we're in our woundedness or we're in our insecurities, we, we struggle with who are we and who am I created to be and what am I doing in this room? Uh, God, would you lift us up? Lord, would you increase in our lives that we would stand firm on you, 
confidently knowing that we too are that voice in the midst of the wilderness called to make straight a way for the Lord. God, help us to do that this week. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen.